Um, it's lovely to be here with you this evening. Um, and thank you so, so much for taking time out to uh, sit together and reflect this evening on the question of the resurrection. The title that Mark gave me is, uh, What Difference Does the Resurrection of Jesus Make? In one way, it feels a little bit previous to be talking about the resurrection. We are, after all, only on Monday of Holy Week. But if you take Lent as the season in which we prepare ourselves to celebrate the great season of Good Friday to Easter, the Passion of Jesus, then actually what we're doing this evening is preparing ourselves for Sunday, even if it is um, a little bit previous. Nevertheless, it allows us to think during the week about what the question of the resurrection does indeed mean to us. A few years ago, I was preaching at Evensong on Easter Day and preached what was for me a rather ordinary sermon on the importance of, revelation, of um, resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 and the Apostle Paul and to the Apostle Paul. And as the people were coming out of Evensong, one lady came up to me absolutely incandescent. You could feel it as she was approaching me. And she said, do you know, it's people like you that are sending the Church of England down the drain. <laughs> and I was just a little bit shocked for a moment. And I said, oh, why in particular? I mean, there are many reasons why I might be doing so. Which one tonight is the reason? <laughs> and she said, you're just trying to make people believe something which is frankly unbelievable. If we could only strip away the unbelievable bits about the Christian faith, it would make very much more sense to everyone and we'd have a lot more people in church. <laughs> Discuss. Um, it's an interesting point of view, isn't it? And I have thought long and hard about it. I do like to think about people's challenges. And I have reflected over the years since she uh, shouted at me after Evensong. And I can tell you that after many years of reflection, I am deeply and profoundly unrepentant. <laughs> I still would preach the same sermon. In fact, I might have notched it up a few more um, volumes um, were I to do it again today. And what I want to do this evening is to tell you why I remain unrepentant. It is entirely up to you to decide where you want to place yourself. Imagine a spectrum. At one end of the spectrum is my lady at the end of Evensong, who thinks that believing in the resurrection is just not doable in the 21st century. Christianity would be better without it. Imagine right on the other end of the spectrum, um, the Apostle Paul who believes that it is deeply, profoundly, and absolutely the load-bearing bit of Christian faith. The question for you this evening is, where are you on that spectrum? You might not want to be entirely with my lady at the end of Evensong. You may not be, want to be entirely with Paul at the other end of the spectrum. But where would you place yourself? And if somebody asked you the question, does it matter whether Jesus really rose from the dead, could he not have just done it in a metaphorical way? Um, what would you say? What, where would you place yourself here? But what I want to do is to reveal to you why I'm with my na namesake, Paul, at this end of the spectrum. I am, by training, a Pauline scholar. 
I'm deeply passionate about all aspects of Paul, but particularly the Corinthian epistles. So what I want to do is to talk to you a little bit this evening about why Paul was so passionate about the resurrection, why he thought it made all the difference, and then why I think it makes a difference to me, why I think it makes a difference to us today, and then finally at the end, what difference it might make in Parliament, believing deeply in the resurrection and what all that it means. So let's start back with Paul and the resurrection and why Paul was so passionate about the importance of Jesus' resurrection. And you need to bear in mind, when you're thinking about Paul's attitude to resurrection, the very, very obvious point that you all know, but it's very easy to forget, which is that Paul was a first century Jew. And because he was a first century Jew, resurrection meant something very particular to him. And so when we think about resurrection in Paul's writings, he's not just talking about an event that happened to a person at some point in history. What he's talking about is a big theological package, an idea that he holds in his head. So it's not just did Paul think that that event happened. For Paul, the really important question is, given that he thought that event happened, what difference does it make to his view of God, to his view of people, to his view of the way in which the world works? It is Paul's grand view of the world that only makes sense if you have resurrection right at the, the heart of it. So let's go back to where that begins and see why it makes such a big difference to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. So we need to start with those Jews who did believe in resurrection. Many of you will know that there were a number of Jews within the first century who did believe in resurrection from the dead. They were largely the Pharisees. There were some from the Essene community that we can find identified, understood, and under, um, understood resurrection as being important. But there were other Jews who did not believe in any form of life after death. Um, and they were largely characterised by the Sadducees. And one of the things that you need to understand is that belief in life after death in the first century, the century that Jesus lived in, was relatively new. Um, if you can trace your kind of themes through the Old Testament, although it is possible to identify in the Hebrew Bible Old Testament places that give you the possibility of understanding of life in, after death, it only really became a mainstream theological idea from about 200 BC um, and not much later than that, not much earlier than that. So therefore, the Sadducees, who were um, very much based in tradition and their understanding of the importance of tradition, did not believe in life after death because for them it was a nasty newfangled bit of doctrine rather than a central part of their faith. Whereas the Pharisees, um, whose doctrine came from a different strand within Judaism, were very passionate about various strands of understanding, particularly the idea of resurrection of the dead. And you need to understand what they believed about it in order to understand why this was so very important for Paul. So life after death within first century Judaism, if you did believe in life after death in first century Judaism, you believed in resurrection. 
that was what you believed in. There wasn't any other option, really, within first century Judaism. By the time you get into the much more Greek-infiltrated Judaism, you can find some shreds of ideas which look very much more like Plato's transmigration of the soul, if you know anything about that. But the vast majority of Jews in the first century believed in the resurrection of the body. And the resurrection of the body, they believed, would happen at the moment when God intervened in history. The Jews of the first century were waiting for that moment, the day of the Lord, the moment when God would intervene in history, he would save his people, he would save Jew, um, Jew, um, Israel, Israel would become prosperous and peaceful, and if you know your Isaiah, and this time of year you can hum along with Handel's Messiah in knowing your um, Isaiah, if you know those passages from Isaiah, you get a vision of what the Jews believed would happen on the day of the Lord. That peace would break out, Israel would be the people that they yearned to be, God would come back to God's people and dwell with them. And they believed that when that happened, the resurrection of the dead would also happen. That would be the sign, the marker of the new era. Jews in the period called it Ha'olam Haba, which is the world, the one coming. And when the world, the one coming, came and God intervened in his people's lives once more, the dead would be raised. And the reason why it's really important that you have that in your mind when you're thinking about Jesus' resurrection is because for Paul, um, the fact that you can say that Jesus rose from the dead was something that he was saying as a big theological statement. If someone has risen from the dead then the end times have started. If someone has been declared to ex have experienced resurrection, then God has broken into the world. Ha'alam haba, the world, the one coming, has in fact already started if somebody has been raised from the dead. And you might just get a sense of why this is really important if you cast your mind to the story of the two disciples in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, which many of you will know. Um, it's a great story, one of my favourites from Luke's Gospel. The two disciples on the morning of the resurrection um, are in Jerusalem and they've heard the women from the tomb come back and announce that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so they do what is for them the most obvious thing to do, go away. And they walked away from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which we reckon is about seven miles away. And the big question that should be in our minds when we read Luke 24 is, why on earth are the disciples going away from Jerusalem? It's the craziest thing to do. If you believe that Jesus is going to rise from the dead, and if you've heard that he has risen from the dead, and if you know that's happened in Jerusalem, the most sensible thing to do is to stay in Jerusalem and hang around until you meet him, not leave Jerusalem and go off in the opposite direction. And if you know the story, you'll know that one of the very striking things about the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus is they are deeply and kind of tragically upset. They are disappointed. And there's a lovely ironic moment in the conversation between Jesus and the two disciples when Jesus says, tell me about this person. And they say, we had hoped that he would be the one 
to redeem Israel. And it's one of those lovely Lucan ironic moments um, because you want to say, as a reader of Luke, having read all the way through Luke's gospel, what more do you want? Jesus has been born. He's lived his life um, in um, Israel-Palestine. He has died. He has now risen from the dead. And you had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. But what you need to understand is that something really important hadn't happened, which was why they knew the resurrection wasn't to be believed. believed. What they expected to happen is when Jesus rose from the dead, the Romans would have been kicked out of the land. Israel would have become prosperous. There would have been peace. There would have been no more fighting. And they would have seen the markers of the resurrection living in the world in which they lived. They got up on Easter Sunday morning. They heard the accounts that Jesus had risen from the dead and the Romans were still there. They were as poor as they'd ever been. There was as much conflict in the world as there ever was. So they knew the resurrection hadn't happened. And that's why they, why they were going off to Emmaus. And what you get in the New Testament accounts are the New Testament writers, and especially Paul, beginning to wrestle with this question of if we believe that Jesus has risen from the dead and the world looks like it always did, does that mean either that Jesus didn't rise from the dead or that actually we've misunderstood what the world would look like when resurrection happened. And what you see in Paul is the growing of the theology that says, well, actually, we need now to re-understand what this means. What does it mean now to live in a world in which we believe Jesus did rise from the dead, but which looks politically like it did before um, Jesus rose from the dead? And if you know your Paul, you'll know that throughout Paul, um, he begins to explore this idea of what it means for people to die and rise with Christ, what it means for people to be in Christ, what it means to be people who are in the new creation. And you begin to realise that actually what Paul is doing is working up a really profound and for me entirely inspiring piece of theology, which is that, yes, the world, the Ha'alam Haba, the world, the one coming, has broken into the world. Jesus' resurrection did start the beginning of the end times. But the really important thing to recognise is it didn't end them. We are waiting between the start of the end times and the end of the end times. So to use Paul's language, we are still living in the old creation, while the new creation exists side by side. So you have this slightly kind of mind-blowing piece of theology that Paul has in mind, which is that the new creation has begun. The new creation has entered into our world, but at the same time, the old creation lives alongside it. So the reason why Jesus' resurrection is so important for Paul is that he has this vision that it has indeed started the new creation but you just need to recognise that the old creation is still with us. And it answers that great conundrum of Christian living. And the great conundrum of Christian living is, if we have now been so changed by dying and rising with Christ, why is it that we can't always live like it is the case? Um, it may not be a problem you struggle with, um, but many people... Um, 
I would be the first at the first front of struggling with that particular issue. Why is it that we can't live as though it is in fact true? The answer is because the old creation and the new creation rub up side by side all the time. Our goal and our calling as Christians is to live in the light of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection which has changed the world forever. But we need to recognise that that happens in the light of the old creation. And the old creation is always lurking there, waiting for us to trip over and get things wrong. And so at the heart of Paul's theology is this vision. And the reason why Paul would say that you simply cannot discard Jesus' resurrection is because it lands right at the heart of Christian faith for Paul. He would say that you cannot take Jesus' resurrection out of Christian faith because without it, there is no new creation. Without Jesus' resurrection, there is not the possibility of a different way of being. Without Jesus' resurrection, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, you are still dead in your sins. And that's one of the strands it's worth just pulling out a little bit here because it is a really important one. This time of year, we talk a lot, rightly and justly, about Jesus' death and the importance of Jesus' death for salvation. But actually, Paul would say, Jesus' death on its own does not achieve the entirety of what we need to happen. What Jesus' death does is free us from the old way of being. What Jesus' resurrection does is free us for a new way of being. You need the both together. So you need the death and the resurrection in order for the new life in Christ to be possible. So there's something actually really very profoundly important for Paul about holding those two together. The next thing which you need to um, hold in, which I think is very, very interesting indeed, when Paul is talking in 1 Corinthians 15 about Jesus' resurrection, he makes it very, very clear indeed that actually believing in Jesus' resurrection is deeply connected to believing in your own resurrection. The Corinthians, somewhat fascinatingly to us, um, didn't apparently believe in their own resurrection. I don't know if you've heard sermons on 1 Corinthians 15. Um, I've heard many sermons on 1 Corinthians 15. And one of the interesting things is, is that it's often used to defend Jesus' own resurrection. But if you read 1 Corinthians 15 very carefully, it's really quite clear that the Corinthians had no problem at all believing in Jesus' resurrection. The problem they had was believing in their own resurrection. And Paul says the two are connected. They are intimately and closely connected. You cannot have one without the other. And that's where he gets into his very famous speech, which you may know, is that if you do not believe in Je Jesus' resurrection, then your faith is in vain. Um, but the reason why he says that is because your resurrection is connected to Jesus' resurrection. You cannot say that Jesus rose from the dead, and I won't, in Paul's thinking. What you must say in Paul's thinking is Jesus rose from the dead and therefore I know I will. That's the connection for Paul. You have to hold resurrection together. It's the whole thing. So the really fascinating thing therefore for me is that for Paul, resurrection is so very important that it's not just believing in Jesus. It's believing that you will rise from the dead after death 
which is what holds the two together. That's the central bit. That's what difference it all makes. So what difference, therefore, does that make? We've been talking kind of high-blown theology so far, and in a sense you could say there's not a lot to kind of grab hold of there. There's not a lot really to understand about what this really means. So in the minutes that we've got remaining, I'd just like to spend a few moments reflecting on what difference it makes to us. What impact does it have on our life if actually we do believe Paul, if we actually accept any of Paul's theology at this point? What difference does it make? The first point that I'd like to make is that one of the really interesting things that you may have noticed about a lot of the New Testament writers, but particularly Paul, one of the things that they do when they're talking about God and who God is, is they don't do what we often do. If I asked you to describe God, what many people today would do was they'd come up with an abstract noun to describe God. So they'd say something like, God is love, God is compassion. God is all-knowing, something like that, which would be rather an abstract idea. What happens all the way through the Old Testament and onwards into the New Testament is when you ask somebody who is God, what they do is say, God is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. God is the one who freed his people from slavery. God is the one who, and you can go on and on and on all the way through the Bible, noting the features of what they want to say about God. The reason why they want to do that is they want to say, we know who God is because of what God has done. And therefore, what they want to say in that kind of connection that they want to make is that the God who has done this remains that God. The God who raised Jesus from the dead in the first century is still the God who raised Jesus from the dead. So therefore, God is still the God who brings life in the midst of death. God is still the God who brings hope in the midst of despair. So the reason why believing in resurrection makes a difference to Paul is because actually it tells you about the character of God. It tells you who God really is. If we say, yes, but he didn't really do it, then what we're saying is that is not really the deep character of God. The reason why this makes a vast difference is that it affects absolutely everything that we do every second of every day. If God is the God who brings life in the midst of death, if he is the God who brings hope in the midst of despair, then everything that we do, every way that we live, every connection that we have with other people needs to be lived in the knowledge that God will always bring life and will make a big difference when God does bring life. I was very conscious of this um, a few years ago. Um, I spent 10 years on um, the Church of England's General Synod and was involved in the legislation crafting um, um, the legislation that allowed women to be consecrated to the episcopate um, with Bishop Donald. We spent quite a lot of time on that committee. And some of you may know that in um, 2012, we brought the first piece of legislation to General Synod and they did not accept it and it fell. And I was very struck at that point um, by how much of that experience um, that it felt like something had died. Now, in a way, it doesn't matter to me what your view is about whether we should have done it or not. That's not the issue here. Because what happened in General Synod in 2012 is that actually something did die 
which was our bonds of respect and harmony. If any of you were aware of what happened at that point, is that the debate in the floor of General Synod was so acrimonious and so angry that actually something really did die. It wasn't the legislation, it was something else entirely. It was about our relationships together. And as I grieved for what happened after that event, um, this memory of 1 Corinthians 15 came to me very powerfully and very strongly. And I realised that actually this was the moment where I had to live like I believe what I'm always saying I believe. Actually, I had to live like I believed it. And so I had to live like I believe that God is the God of re resurrection. So what I had to do was, in the face of feeling as though something had died, live as though I believed that life would come. And so I started doing it and started trying to do it. Um, and it's a long story and we don't need to get into the ins and outs of it, but you will know that actually we have now managed um, to pass the legislation through and um, those of you who are in the Lords will be um, sitting with um, at least Rachel, if not also Christine, who are now um, the results of that legislation succeeding. But in a way, that's not the most important thing. What is the most important thing is that we manage to mend the bonds, we manage to mend the relationships. And there is something, I think, in that about recognising that that's when resurrection began to look real for me. That's when resurrection really began to show itself to be true. And so I wonder, in the context of this great institution in Parliament, actually what it might look like if we, in politics generally, live as though we believe the God of resurrection is really the God of resurrection. The God who will bring life in the face of dying. The God who will bring hope in the face of despair. What might that look like politically? And how do we live through that? Um, it sounds, it's very easy once you've lived through it and you've got to the other side to say, oh, well, it's easy. I can tell you it isn't. Um, it is very, very much not easy. But there is something absolutely genuine and right about the perseverance and the endurance and the rebellion that says, I believe in the resurrection and I will continue believing in the resurrection despite the death I see and despite the despair that I see. And there seems to be, for me, something really pr profound about reflecting about what difference that will make. The other thing that um, I would just like to say before we end is that it's back to Paul's vision of the new creation. As I was saying, the really important thing for Paul is that the resurrection of Jesus brought in the new creation. It meant for Paul that it was now possible to live in the world as though the great hope of the new creation was in fact in place before his very eyes. And if you want to know why Paul got so cross with the Corinthians in particular, but also the Galatians and various of the other people that he wrote to, is because you wouldn't know the new creation had begun because of the way in which they related to each other. For Paul, living the resurrection meant the quality of relationship that you had with other people. It meant the way in which you lived lived out the fact that the wolf was lying down with the lamb. It lived out the fact that you believed that God was present in your midst. 
And Paul said to the Corinthians that he didn't see any evidence of that. And if you know your 1 Corinthians, you will know that they are a walking, talking case of a lack of new creation in the very heart of them. So the really interesting question is, what does it look like to be people who live reconciliation? Whatever your political stance, whatever way you come from um, looks like, what does it look like to be somebody who forgives time and time and time again, who places the bonds of affection above all else? What does that look like in the way in which you live your political life and the way in which you live your working life here? Um, what does it look like to be somebody who lives out the resurrection in that kind of way? So if Paul were to answer my lady at the end of Evensong and say, um, when she was saying, um, why can't you just strip out the unbelievable bit of the resurrection and leave Christianity in its um, more easily swallowable form, I suspect that Paul would have said, well, I really don't see the point. And I'm with Paul on that. It's that the thing that gets me up on a Sunday morning, the thing that makes me a Christian day in and day out, the thing that actually makes me live and breathe and celebrate the fact that I am a child of God is simply the resurrection. The resurrection is what makes the difference. The resurrection has changed the world in Paul's mind. The resurrection offers me the chance to live in a different way. You could strip it out because it's quite hard to believe, but actually I'm not sure that I would see the point of believing anything else if you had stripped it out. And therefore, I am a passionate, down this end of the spectrum, believer in the resurrection. Um, and I shall be interested now to discover where you might place yourselves and what kind of conversation we might want to have on the back of that. <laughs>